I go back to my grandmother, give experience to people and emotion. If you're able to do that through your restaurants or even on the table at home, you become addictive and I love it. And I've been loving it for 34 years. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Italian cuisine has such a huge influence on not just the food we eat every day in Australia, but the makeup of the hospitality sector too. But it's unfair to characterise food as just Italian, as techniques and ingredients are so different across the 20 regions. How different is the food of the north to the south? Alessandro Pavoni is the director and chef of Ormeggio at the Spit, Chiosco by Ormeggio and Amare. Alessandro, how are you? Very good, thank you very much. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, you've had an incredible influence in Australia um, since you've been here. You're from northern uh, Italy. Um, how different is the food across Italy? So, yeah, you have to think that uh, Italy until 200 years ago was 20 different countries with different languages and uh, driven by different influences. So, for example, North East influenced by German and Austria and, and North West France and Switzerland, Sardinia from Spanish influence, Sicily from Northern Africa, Moroccan influence, Puglia from Greek influence, and also we influence other cuisine, like uh, the Venice kingdom influenced the whole Greek cuisine, and then it came back down in, in, in Puglia. And, and uh, languages, cuisine, and also the terroir, make such a, such a different terroir between, obviously, for example, my region, say the northern Italy star from the Alps, which you can think, you know, if there is high pasture, uh, two, three thousand meters above sea level where the cow, you know, it is a fresh grass and you have in summer and you have amazing aromatic cheeses, butter, cream. So avia food, you know, driven by those ingredients. Then you come down a little and uh, in a matter of 45 minutes, one hour, you are on the lakes and the plain of the northern Italy. And the lakes create this microclimate, a lot more Mediterranean. So although the southern, the food become a lot lighter, cleaner. There is a lot of extra virgin olive oil, lemons, capers, like uh, in the Mediterranean basin. And, and, and so that's the, the, the part which is driven by the terroirs. And also the influence. If you if you go, for example, in Val d'Aosta, we have a Val d'Ostana, Cotoletta Val d'Ostana, which is basically a cordon bleu. In 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 Sardinia, you know, you have a lot of um, Catalonian dishes like uh, Ragosta la Catalana, or even the pecorino may come from Manchego. Is a great area there. And then uh, Sicily, you know, the influence of Moroccan cuisine, the, the, 
the, the granita come maybe from Moroccan to then Sicily, then the gelato, and become gelato from there. Couscous in Sicily, very, very traditional dish, which is obviously Northern uh, African. You were born in Brescia up in the north. Um, t- tell us about food for you with your family growing up. So my my mom comes, so we are in the pre-Alps, on the Alps of Italy. My mom comes from a little village uh, that now count only 20 people living there and is about 1,500 meters above sea level. And uh, it's, driven, it's driven by this hunting, hunting, um, and uh, high mountain cow farming. So, as I said before, butter, heavy cheese is quite an heavy type of food, which I love. And uh, But I grew up, I went to cooking school on Lake Garda, which is, as I said before, maybe 45 minutes from there. And uh, it's totally different. Totally different cuisine. So I'm always exposed to both sides of the middle there. And uh, and yeah, it's very interesting because you are keep uh, changing flavor in a daily basis. It depends where you are. What led to a career in hospitality for you? It's a cliche, but it's actually my grandmother. <laughs> I remember my great grandmother, actually, which is the mother of the mother of my father. She was from Mantova which is a very famous town for tortelli di zucca, pumpkin tortelloni, tortelli. And she she was making that dish once a month for the family. And it was, it was days of work because she was talking to the vegetable supplier to get the best pumpkin from her area, which is, you know, one hour from where we grow up. So, and then age the pumpkin for a few days, um, do the puree, hang it for overnight, so the feeling, get the amaretti in a, And then in the morning, like about seven o'clock, all the kids were helping her to do in this tortelloni on the table in the kitchen, I never forget. And, uh, and then uh, when the meal happened, I always have that feeling and, you know, she was making everybody happy. She was giving emotion to people through her cooking. And I thought, one day I want to be able to do that. It's a kind of art because it would be like if you can play an instrument and you're transporting people to emotional moments. And I thought, you know, and, and I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to make people smile of happiness when they eat what I cook. It could be a home for my family. or and, and I decided to do it professionally because I thought, then when you start to have that feedback, it becomes addictive. That's, that's why I went. I decided at the age of 12, I want to be a cook. And I went to school at 15. And now 33 years later, I'm still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Who were some of the main influences uh, when, you were, when you were in your career, when you were in, in Brescia that had a real impact on you once you started working as a chef? 
So Brescia is a very lucky town because it's always been an area where a lot of very good restaurants, Michelin restaurants. Uh, some points was the most star Michelin restaurant concentration was right there. Actually, now the Le Garda is one of the most concentrated Michelin star restaurant area in Italy, only on the lake. So it's amazing for the quality. And um, obviously, I went to school and I find this teacher, which then he also owned a restaurant and become my mentor and chef called Giuseppe Mafioli which is associated with uh, Eugenio Massari, one of the greatest pastry chefs ever lived in Italy, and is still alive, obviously. And uh, I worked with them in the beginning of my career. Um, you know, at 15, I go to school, and then summer holiday and weekends we work. And then I start going, I ask them to send me to the best people, so they send me to Gualtiero Marchesi, which was the maestro of the Italian cuisine, the first to have the three Michelin star, and the, the one that exposed uh, the modern uh, Italian cuisine to the world back then. So I was very fortunate to work there, and uh, and uh, in a few other restaurants at that level. And then uh, the back then to be to learn the best technique in the world, you would have to. It was a must to go in France. You gotta go in France. Otherwise, the best cuisine, Italian cuisine, but you gotta learn the technique in France. That was the. So I went, uh, I went in Lyon and I worked in a restaurant where Paul Bocuse was uh, involved as well. So I did the stint in Paul Bocuse and then under Lyon there. Uh, restaurant La Rotonde was a two mission restaurant in, uh, in Lyon and, um, and that was literally the next level of cuisine. And I spent a year there learning techniques. Then I came back in Italy. I went in Sardinia, Cala di Volpe hotels, a few places. And then at 20, uh, 28 years old, I came in Australia to learn English. I'm still learning English. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that decision. Why did you come to Australia and what was the draw draw for you? I don't look, I just I literally for no look, I'm gonna go maybe one month. I don't wanna go in England, too cold. I didn't wanna go in America because usually I didn't like Americans. It's just as a feel, but it's not I didn't know any Americans, so it was just what I thought back then. So my cousin came back from Australia holiday and told me that was amazing. So I came here and then after a few weeks, I decided I want to stay. So I uh, started working here and there in, in a daily basis. And uh, in one of the restaurants I used to work, I found uh, my wife, Anna. She was working in the front of our house. So everything started from there. I was in love and I had to learn English. <laughs> You ended up as the executive chef at the Park Hyatt. How different was was that kitchen and cooking in Australia compared to your experience abroad? Um, look, the Hyatt for me wasn't a school of learning how to cook. I think I came in Australia with a, a very good pedigree and uh, I, I knew what I wanted to cook. And, but the Hyatt was an unbelievable experience to learn how to manage you know, like numbers and uh, different events and how to actually run a business 
which is um, as chefs, sometimes with our big ego, we forget that we're running a business. And uh, that's why most of the time restaurants go broke as well. So that was uh, probably, you know, it depends how the way that you look at it, but it's more, sometimes it's more important to know how to run the restaurant as a business side. You know, and that, that, that uh, they, they teach me that. You know, like they teach me that, and uh, I put all my effort in the food, and I learn a lot, a lot. And and uh, we grow the restaurant. It was a great restaurant. I had the opportunity also to go all over the world to do promotion, all over India, Japan, South America. I helped them to do some openings, so it was a huge growth for me. And then they offered me a job in Hong Kong, and got my Hong Kong. And I refused, and I because I thought I was uh, very good, <laughs> and uh, I took uh, the opportunity to open a restaurant at the speed, which everybody thought I was mad. But the restaurant is still there after twelve years, so that wasn't a bad choice. It's become one of Australia's best Italian offerings. It's an incredible restaurant that you've built there with your wife Anna. Um, Tell us about the beginnings of that and creating. What were the challenges to create Omedia? Uh, to be honest, um, the biggest challenge was that I had an heart attack uh, two months before I opened it. <laughs> so I opened a restaurant uh, and I was still recovering, doing uh, heart recovery. And after nine months, I opened the restaurant. After nine months, I had another heart attack with a double bypass. And I had to keep, you know, but I, I couldn't give up, really. I, I was very fortunate to have, um, I've always been circundated by amazing uh, people, which are some of my best friends, chefs and uh, front of house people. And, and, uh, and uh, I, I believe whatever I build as a brand is now, me, but it's us. You know, it's the democracy, you know. And uh, I was very lucky to have these people that actually in those times that I was absent also, they keep growing the restaurant and together we work uh, on the concepts, on the dishes. And I had the concepts and the dishes before I opened or imagine my mind. And, and uh, I opened and like that. And then, you know, we developed together with the team yeah. Obviously, after the second heart attack, I was out for a few weeks. And then I managed to, I was in the kitchen, but I was sitting on a chair uh, most of the time. Uh, but yeah, but it went well. So, good. What sort of impact did having sort of the two heart attacks and um, the double bypass, what, did that change your perspective on, on life and your career? Look, no, because uh, uh, that was the only the end of the story because I, I deal with bigger things than heart attacks with the deadly cancer in the lungs and in the bone when I was young, like 19 years old and 24 years old again. That's why I had a heart attack. So, look, uh, my, I just look in front and uh, I never look back. I just keep moving forward and up. That's it. And that uh, I learned that when I was 20 and I uh, keep doing it, whatever happened. 
tell us about Omegio and um, and what you sort of it's it's evolved and changed quite a lot over the, the last decade or so. But tell us about you know your visions of it originally and what you were presenting to the market and sort of what it's become. So in the beginning, it was more like a, a traditional trattoria. And then we slowly make, made it like more like a modern Italian restaurant. And um, and then it becomes low. And then I, I did every two or three years, I get bored very quickly. So I, we do renovation, change the concept and do more like a degustation style restaurant. Then uh, just before COVID, I was tired of that. And I think, you know, the market is changing from that style of dining. So I decided to do another concept again, which was more like a sharing seafood uh, oriented, always with the Italian, um, obviously, always Italian uh, cuisine. But in this case, more like a sharing, also still creative, but more like a sharing seafood casual Casual fine done, you know, cool. And then I ripped off all the furniture and make it again in a, in a different um, different uh, colors, different, more brighter. And uh, I feel I like changes, you know. I like to keep evolving, keep moving forward, change things. And uh, every time it's been successful. But this time is the most successful. And, and even if COVID was there, I actually took an advantage because the first lockdown of COVID, uh, one of my friends was stuck here from Venice and he's a, he's a painter. He painted the stucco, all that stuff. So I told him, look, I'm going to give you, I'm going to, you're going to stay in the house and I feed you, but you're going <laughs> to renovate the rent. <laughs> and... Uh, and then uh, my my friend built there as well, so we ripped it off and uh, did it new again. Tell us a bit about uh, Chiosco, which is just next door to Ormeggio and and the offering that you have there. So because Ormeggio is more like a fine dining venue, and uh, <clears throat> we have a lot of locals around the area there, so uh, we felt that there was uh, uh, a demand for a more casual, barefoot, friendly, take your dog and your kids, trattoria by the water, like it would be in Italy and anywhere by the water in Venice or Portofino, and uh, bring your own wine, relax, cheap and cheerful. And um, also because I really wanted to have that type of dining, to have lunch for myself. And um, and so we have people coming two, three times a week, taking their own bottle there, you know, with the, with the pajamas on sometimes. <laughs> and then they come once, and then they come once a month or major when they celebrate. And it's very busy. They're both very busy. Or major is amazing. Uh, Kiosko is amazing. Very, very good. So, yeah, we, we, we hit the two often. People love it. It works. It's been pretty challenging the last couple of years, but at the end of 2020, you opened a huge new restaurant in the Crown Sydney, Amare. Tell us a bit about, about that, the restaurant and, and what you created there. Amare is all about the, the old school service 
uh, table side service, you know. It's a traditional, there is traditional Italian cuisine uh, done right. And um, the, the concept of a restaurant go around uh, uh, what we do uh, at the table, the theater of the service. The idea I have for many years was to bring back um, that theater because I, I feel like um, the food is keep, uh, it keep, uh, it's going very far, you know, the dishes, the molecular gastronomy here and there, tweezer perfection. And I think, where are we going to go with that? So I thought, you know, let's go back with the food on the tradition and, and let's move forward with the service. In Australia, we need to have a better school as restaurant for front of house people. We need to teach them. We need to make it a profession. And in order to do that, we need to excite people about it. The, 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 more restaurants should do that and so that people, uh, they want to do that as a career, not as a 30-hour-a-week to pay uni, you know. And, um, and I wanted to bring the theater that I remember when I used to go with my parents as a teenager on those uh, Belle Epoque villas, restaurants on the water on the Lake Garda. You had those people with the white uniform opening the door when you are of the car when you are there, you know, and then they do all this thing, even a Garridon service. And, and I was thinking, let's bring them back, give it the theater table side to the people because... You want to go a restaurant to to a restaurant to to have uh, to have that to see a theater to have an experience to have uh, you know to have the show to has to be a show we need to do more show and um, yeah and uh, in fact uh, the people loving it loving it. Italy's influence on Australia's uh, culinary landscape is, is quite incredible. But how, how do you see it compared to the food back at, in Italy? Um, there is a very, very good restaurant now in uh, Sydney and Melbourne in Italian cuisine. I have to admit that when I came here 20 years ago, it was terrifying. There's only uh, three restaurants, and the rest was disgraceful. Now, um, there is very good Italian. Lots of time better than Italy, because you could have a very bad experience if you go in Italy, and I've been the last few years. You know, if you go in Venice as a tourist, you can eat very badly. You go in Florence or even Milan and Rome in their own places, you know, you gotta know where you're going. And uh, Italy, pretty much the Italian restaurant, they, they, most of them are good. They're like, you know, it, it's good. It's getting better and there is a good um, vibe about that in, in Australia. And I'm very happy and proud of it because compared to 20 years ago, the, 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 we had big changes. A lot of chefs want to do more Italian and they do it well. Even not Italian chefs. You're incredibly busy with three very successful restaurants. How do you manage the success of those restaurants and, and sort of a life-work balance? Okay. Uh, as I said before, I'm very fortunate 
to have an amazing bunch of people that work uh, we work together in each in in all the restaurants and they passion and they love for this um, for this job the hospitality it's amazing and I'm only very lucky to be at the helm of these teams and um, having that I can uh, spend my time between the restaurant and also have time for my hobbies and my family yeah so yeah I'm, I'm looking after myself as a lifestyle and uh, I look after my restaurant I, I'm at the restaurants as much as I can but also when I'm not there things are same if not better you're also an ambassador for Heart Research Australia. Tell us a little bit about that. So, look, Heart Research Australia, uh, obviously, they saved my life because they they research enabled them to have uh, machinery in, in the ambulance that can detect what type of uh, problem you have on your heart, for example, and send you to the right hospital. Because the second time when I had the the, the, big heart, the biggest heart attack, I had two or three hours to live, and they were able to do this exam and send me straight to the right place, and uh, they were already waiting for me in the theater. And that's because how a search Australia researcher have that invented these technologies, right? So I, you know, I experienced firsthand. So all my charity, most of my charity, I do uh, for them, with them. Your influence in Australia has been absolutely incredible. Um, what do you love about what you do? I go back to my grandmother, give experience to people and emotion. When you, if you're able to do that through your restaurants or even on the table at home, you become addictive and I love it. And I've been loving it for 34 years. Well, it's an absolute honor to have you on Deep in the Weeds today, Alessandro, just to hear a little bit of your story. Uh, congratulations on what you've built and look forward to seeing uh, more of it as well. Thank you very much. Great to be on your show. Thanks to having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. 